This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 10.05 in the morning. This is Battle for Malaysia, BFM's coverage of GE15. Today is, of course, nomination day. I'm Shazana Mukhtar in studio with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. We are going to be bringing you updates, analysis and discussions on what is going on at all the nomination centres, who the key candidates are, the biggest surprises and what the next two weeks could look like. We'll be on air until noon with a stellar lineup of experts and analysts. We'll also be crossing over to hear from BFM's news team who are on the ground at the nomination centres and hopefully we'll catch up with some candidates as well. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting uh, morning. I think, are we are we going to expect much fireworks? Any surprises? The only surprise I saw so far was that one artisan nearly forgot her IC as she entered the <laughs> nomination centre. I don't get this. Why do we, I mean, why do people forget? We told them. They're not, li- they're not listening to us on BM in the morning, right? Yesterday, don't right? bring your photostat copy. The other thing is that I found out you can actually, uh, according to the EC secretary, Dato uh, Isha, you can actually go and see these uh them the day before nomination day yep. to make sure that all your papers are in order so it should be a very smooth process. There should be no hiccups. Well, following social media streams, it looks like a smooth process, although we see quite a bit of jeering, of course, with the opposing camps. But as you said, Shazana G15 proves going to be the largest election in our history in terms of voter size. G14, 14.9 million voters. G15, likely to touch 21.2 million voters. The cost of this election last year, last election, 500 million proved to be 1.16 billion for GE15. And other interesting information, we have 363,000 EC officers. Campaign process will be monitored by 625 EC enforcement teams. There are also going to be 8,958 ordinary polling centres with 38,348 voting streams. But I do recommend everyone to check the EC website as to where you're supposed to vote, what saloran you should be so that you go at the right time to avoid large queues. Turning our attention to what's happening this morning, we do know that beginning at 9am, the candidates went to the nomination centres to submit their papers. They'll have until 9 to 10 to submit these papers. And I think a little bit uh, a time of after that, that's when the uh, returning officers at the respective centres will confirm who the candidates are. So there's a lot of uh, excitement in the air, I mm. guess, for that final um, decision or final announcement. We know that multi-cornered fights are going to be the norm. It's not, it's going to be the non-multi-cornered fights will be the exception. I think so. Last time they used to be just two parties contesting but you know the interesting thing and is... maybe the odd third guy. The odd third guy. But what was very interesting, Batu Batu constituency, what we're seeing through through, through the social media tweets, eight nominations so far. I think as, as many as expected as 11 Could possible. Could go up to 11. That's yeah. incredible. Indeed. Yeah, so other things that you... Okay, a bit of a don't. I found this out too. You're not allowed to bring in musical instruments or loudspeakers on nomination So that you don't hypnotise the agents, is it? You can't play bad music. Uh, But you're just supposed to go in to the nomination centre with the candidate, proposer and seconder. That's it. It's supposed to be a simple, quick easy, fast process. All right, we will be bringing you the updated announcements as they come. But first, to lay the groundwork on what GE15 will be about, what the battle lines are, we have on the line with us Ibrahim Sufyan, Program Director at the Merdeka Centre for Opinion Research. Ben, good morning. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Now, today is the kick-off day of GE15, and Merdeka Centre issued the results of their latest survey just yesterday. So let's start off with getting the top findings from your survey. Which way is the wind blowing in terms of coalition support as we start GE15 campaigning? Well, I think right now it's hard to tell. 
how you know voters are going to make uh, their choices. And the reason is because there are so many parties contesting, and some of the major coalitions they have their own uh, base of support, which is quite sizable. So I say there's three large coalitions: uh, there is Barisan Nasional, Pakatan Harapan, and Perikatan Nasional, uh, which is centered on PAS, uh, has a sizable base of support in excess of 20% of the electorate out there. And then uh, there are also a large number of smaller parties uh, that are contesting that may uh, affect uh, the, the turnout and also the results as we go closer to election date. So as things currently stand right now, the surveys that we have done seems to indicate there is a slight decrease in terms of the traditional Malay support for Barisan National. And this, if this trend persists, then that particular coalition probably will have some challenges. One of the other surprises we found in the survey is that there was a slightly higher than expected Malay support for Pakatan Harapan, which actually will improve their chances if this trend persists. Uh, the outlier is Perikatan National and PAS. We think that with the decline in Malay support for Barisan National, Perikatan National probably can uh, take some seats away from the end. Uh, but we're just at this point really uncertain how many seats that will be. Uh, but it does appear that, you know, uh, PAS and to some, some extent Bersatu might be able to clench some seats uh, at this early stage. But, you know, still, yeah. we still have 14 days to go for election day. So if you see this trajectory coming through, do you expect Perikata National to be a potential kingmaker? I think they, yeah, they have that potential. The reason is because, you know, while they may not have the largest number of seats, they might end up with a sizable number that can still... Uh, the balance when trying when, when the parties are trying to form coalitions and govern the country. Okay, Ben, I want to go back to your survey and talk about the political drivers and the issues that are in people's minds as they go to the polling booth. The first one is economic concerns. I see that. That's the biggest pro- pro- problem. And then the voter concerns are, of course, inflation. Do you think the parties are taking heed of this in the way they are going to campaign over the next 14 days? I mean, in theory, they should because, you know, the economy has always been the top most issue for people in the country for the last, uh, oh no, so many, many years, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the question is whether or not they come up with something that's really cogent that voters uh, can process and understand. Uh, I think what we are seeing right now, uh, you know, from political parties is more populism uh, and, and doesn't speak about more detailed outline. I mean, not so much detail, but rather a more realistic outline in terms of how they're going to fix the problem. And when we look at the survey and dig further, when we talk to some of the respondents individually, I mean, the problems are complex. And basically, it's about low wage growth. Uh, that's, I think, the core problem that maybe the economy, while it's growing, is not generating the kind of earnings that people uh, can, uh, can cope with, rising costs and so on. So, so it's a deep-seated, very long-term problem that they have to address. Uh, so far, we have not seen uh, parties speak, you know, very... Uh, you know, deeply on this subject. Ben, back in GE14, rising costs were also an issue. Pakatan Harapan made GST one of their banner causes. I guess, what's the difference between the economic discussion then and now? Do you see any key differences? Well, I mean, the big difference was in 2018, there were several key issues that voters could latch on and political parties could mobilise uh, support around. I mean, GST was one important uh, topic because everybody was affected and that coupled with one MPP allowed uh, some linkages to be made that taxpayers' money were used for wrongful purposes and now, you know, being spent to pay off uh, some debts. Uh, 
so that I think was a very clear link between um, tax money and 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 manage management of the government. But I think now it's much more diffuse. It's a global problem. Inflation is a problem worldwide, and wage growth is also a worldwide problem. And and it's much harder to pin down the issues on one or two specific items. So I think the political parties are going to have a challenge there. The other problem that political parties have a challenge is also because the opposition has an MOU, a confidence and support agreement with the previous ruling coalition. So they too were sort of part of the administration supporting the budget and so on in the last uh, year. So uh, they have to account for themselves as well. But Ben, I think one of the interesting things is that in your survey, a huge number of voters are remaining undecided. I think three out of ten remain undecided, right? So what's going to shift them to help them make a decision if economic concern is the number one priority and it's unlikely to shift in the next two weeks, isn't it? Yeah, one of the things we found in the survey is that many of the parties are disliked. Nearly all of the parties have actually low sentiment ratings from voters. So aside from their core support, you know, the vast number of voters, uh, one-third, many of them, you know, they, actually, they came across to us saying that, actually, we don't prefer any of these guys. And that's, I think, why it's a bit hard to pin down where their support will be. Uh, so there are two things that we have to unpack here. That Number one, not all of those people who claim that they are undecided are actually undecided. So I think voters are going to make the least worst option choice in this particular election. And therefore, I think pre-existing patterns will play out. So... Uh, among non-Bumiputra, urban-based voters, you know, particularly minorities, most likely, you know, their votes will flow to Pakatan Harapan. Where the wildcard is, is, uh, you know, the Malay voters. Where will they cast their votes? Because mm. for the longest time, there was only one Malay coalition, but now there's two. So voters have a choice. Or will there just be apathy? Or will there just be apathy and they won't come in to vote at all? I think there will be some of that, but it won't be so acute. That, that's my speculation right now. I think the apathy will come from voters who are automatically registered. Uh, and there's a fairly large number, maybe 3 million plus people that may not come out in large numbers. We anticipate maybe turnout rate amongst automatic voters about a third. So overall turnout will be slightly depressed compared to previous elections. But I think by and large, the average voter will still, you know, I think 6 or 7 out of 10, 10 will still come out to vote. Okay, Ben, can we go back to the candidate selection process because it's nomination sure. day? Uh, did you get a sense that there were there attempts to fit the best candidate to the constituency or was it very often just a marriage of convenience? Uh, I can't say for certain, you know, but what, mm. what, what we've noticed in terms of the overall patterns put up by all the you know, large parties is that there is a clear distinct interest to try to put new people on board. Uh, I think... You know, one, one uh, I think, glaring example is what, you know, AMNO has done. I think aside from some individuals that are seen as followers and supporters of the party president, a large number of candidates are new. I think nearly 70% candidates are new candidates. But, of course, there is a dynastic thing going on. You know, sons and daughters of pre-existing or older candidates standing again. Uh, and other parties like Perikatan National being new, are also feeding a large number of people. And some of the candidates uh, look quite interesting. Interesting in the sense that uh, they they have pretty good credentials, at least on paper. Um, and, and Pakatan Harapan as well. What's also interesting is that in some places, small parties like Pejuang are putting candidates up. And the candidates, you know, again, on paper, look pretty good, suited for uh, the constituency that they're serving. Like, for example, the Pejuang candidate for uh, Ampang is someone who has... Um, 
credentials in geology and and other things because it's a flat prune uh, sorry it's a <laughs> less flat prune area so there is an attempt i think to find the best person so ben in that sense i mean earlier you described about how many of the respondents of your survey didn't like any of the parties involved and at the same time we are seeing uh, more interesting candidates come to the fore do you think that this uh, election will be the decision that voters make will it be based more on party or will it be based on individual personality or or is it going to be policy which one will um, hold sway well, I think different segments will bet differently. Uh, I think the younger voters, which are critical in this particular election, will probably will look at candidates, whether it's a local candidate that can connect with them or the national level candidates that can inspire them uh, and convince that they have a better program. I think the candidates and top leadership is important for both younger voters. But for older voters, party is still important. Um, so we have a more differentiated um segmentation of voter factors, drive, vote, vote driving factors in this particular election. And that's why I want to build on Shaz's question. Are there any seats or states here that are potential bellwethers that kind of sh- show the shift in mood of the nation, right, in how the voting pattern will be? Or are they still very candidate-centric? Mm, yeah, I think, well, in terms of bellwether states and locations, I think two states I think will be key. Uh, that is Pera and Johor. The reason is because the demographics is more mixed and therefore the interplay between the three major coalitions you know, can yield some surprising results. Uh, that's one. So Johor as well as uh, Perak. If you notice in 2018, uh, many seats in those two states who fell to Pakatan Harapan, allowing them to form government. Uh, the other thing is that there are some Malay areas which can be bellwethers, but then the contestation is between Perikatan as well as Barisan National. And so there might be some states in uh, some seats in Pahang, uh, like Jerantut and a few other places where things are going to be key. Indra Mahkota, where former fan, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Saifuddin Abdullah, contesting there uh, in, in Indra Mahkota. So that might be interesting place to watch. Other, I think, interesting bellwether seats would be, let's say, a seat like Tanjung Malim, you know, where uh, PKR guy uh, Charlie Kang contested in 2018 and I think he's defending the seat. Uh, that's, that's a bellwether seat. If seats like that fall to Pakatan Harapan, then I think they have a chance. Seats like, um, let me see, uh, seats... As we go up north, uh, if we go to see, like, let's say, Bukit Gantang or Pagan Serai in Perak, where there is a sizable Malay majority, uh, if Perikatan National somehow, you know, wins those seats, then it means that the Barisan National slide in support uh, has become more acute. So the, this is a very hard election to tell, partly because we have three big coalitions, and then it's much harder to transpose uh, voter preferences at a national level and in terms of a seat count in parliament. What about voter turnout, Ben? How important is this to GE15? I mean, your survey indicates that it's about 80%, but is that going to be what we're going to find out on uh, 19 of November? And if there's a low voter turnout, who does it actually benefit? Well, a lower voter turnout traditionally will uh, be a benefit to Barisan National because as the largest party, they have the largest base of support and the support has generally been very loyal. Uh, so that's the kind of uh, rule of thumb in domestic politics. Uh, so the higher the turnout is, the more uncertain the thing becomes. And more potentially in mixed ethnic areas, will vote, uh, it will benefit Pakatan Harapan. In the more Malay dominant areas, it might uh, benefit Perikatan National. Uh, so that's, I think, the, the kind of general rule of thumb. But I think, you know, voter turnout, hard to say right now, depending on how the campaign unfolds over the next couple of weeks, if they are big burning issues that are being brought up that can fire up voters and I think we will see turnout appreciably increase. 
Uh, and also, I think there's going to be a large degree of negative campaigning that might turn people out because they don't want some other guy to win. So that's, uh, I think, also a distinct possibility in this okay. space. Since you brought up campaigning, what do you expect in the next two weeks? And does campaigning really make a difference in terms of changing voter perception on what they might do on November 19? Campaigning does. I mean, if there's some new information that's been brought to light, I think to date we have not seen anything significantly different than what has been playing out for pretty much the last one year. Uh, but if some new information comes to light, if some of these parties are reserving their best bullets for you know this coming two weeks, then it might move the needle a little bit for a couple of points, and that can make a difference between winning and losing. Uh, we noticed that you know Rafizi Ramli has uh, tweeted, I think that he has some new new revelations about some other scandal. So that that's I think an interesting thing to watch. But the key element here is whether it is emotive enough to motivate the people to switch support or to make them come out to vote. Ben, thank you as always for speaking with us. That was Ibrahim Sufyan, Program Director at the Merdeka Centre with a review of the survey that his centre has issued just recently and also things to expect in GE15. We'll no doubt be catching up with him uh, as the election campaign unfolds. So many issues to watch, so many seats to watch, so many developments to keep our eyes on. Well, nomination is, is nomination, the process is closed. It's over. It ended at 10 a.m. across 222 nomination centres in the country. So I think we'll know for sure who the candidates are going to be and then we can do a comparison and actually, I think some seats are going to be extremely interesting. Nine cornered fight in Ampang, eight cornered fight in Bangi. I think you're seeing huge multi-cornered fights happening all across the country and that's going to even create more uncertainty on who is likely to vote because you're splintering everything. But are they just spoiler votes? Because because, you know, at the end of the day, right, whether voters will just focus on the one, two, three parties versus all these other independents, not to say that they don't contribute to the democratic process, but generally Malaysians focus very closely, right, on parties. That's right. So I guess this is the, another debate, right? Is it the candidate or the party you pick? And if you have uh, time, do listen to yesterday's Evening Edition's Inside Story. They discussed this very existential question. Do more candidates, is that better for democracy? Is that better? Who does that benefit, right? So uh, you can look up that on our BFM app or look, go to bfm.my to listen to any podcast related to GE15 content. It is coming up to 10.24 in the morning. We're taking a very quick break, but up next we'll be hearing from Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia Asia Research Centre for her observations on the ground. Battle for Malaysia programming continues. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.